Welcome to Live Truth Podcast, a podcast geared towards helping women to know Jesus, love Jesus, and live truth boldly, which should in turn cause us to glorify God with our lives, think biblically, and be compelled to make disciples. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Live Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Katrika. Thank y'all so much again for joining me. And for new listeners, if this is your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Today I have on Elisa Childers. She speaks out a lot about progressive Christianity and what progressive Christianity is and her testimony in coming out of progressive Christianity or as her the Lord revealed to her that that's the type of church that she was in. So it caused her to re-examine her faith and delve deeper um, into apologetics. And she's going to share that testimony with us. So I'm grateful to have her on. I pray that this episode blesses you and you are encouraged as always. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus and have made that decision to place your faith in Christ, please reach out to either one of us. Uh, Alicia gave her contact information and you have mine in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Also, please make sure you share this if you are blessed by it with your family and friends and rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts because it helps with the algorithm. Also, Live Truth is also on um, YouTube under Live Truth Podcast. Again, thank you for your support. I love you. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. If you will, tell us about your journey to faith in Christ and how you got to where you are in terms of progressive Christianity and um, delving into that topic a good bit. Yeah, I never dreamed I'd be doing what I'm doing today. It just, you know, 10 years ago, if you would have asked me if I would be writing apologetics blogs and having a podcast in that arena, I would have not even probably understood what you were talking about. <laughs> so it's a very different uh, shift for me. And the reason that I'm doing that today has so much to do with the question you've just asked me, my journey to get to this place, just my journey of faith. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I had really, really wonderful, authentically Christian parents, which I think is a huge element uh, that stabilized me through different seasons of my life. Not that my parents were perfect, they weren't, but I think that's kind of the point though, is for you to live your life, your Christian life out authentically in front of your kids, has there's right. gonna be repentance. There's gonna be, you know, when you mess up, you acknowledge it and you continue to go to Christ for everything. So they really did that well and um, really t taught us the Bible, prayed together, uh, did lots of outreach, homeless ministry, um, inner city ministry, where I, it was just regular for me to see my mom hugging prostitutes and ministering to them and drug dealers and drug addicts and homeless people. This is just, I thought all the Christians did that stuff. I just thought that's that's what it was to be a Christian. I didn't realize that not a lot of people have that story. But the reason I tell that part of my story is because I had a pretty good experience with Christianity growing up. I um, I didn't really have intellectual reasons to to think, well, I don't think this is true. I didn't I didn't really have those reasons because it was a generally good experience, not, not a perfect experience, of course. But um, so that wouldn't actually come till I was older. I had spent uh, the better part of a decade as a part of the Christian pop group Zoe Girl. I don't know if any of your listeners remember Zoe Girl from the early 2000s, but I was a part of that. And it really wasn't even until after all of that that my husband and I began attending a church in Middle Tennessee, right in the heart of the Bible Belt, where we were living. and 
we loved this church. It was a non-denominational evangelical church, and we loved so many things about it. And it really wasn't until about eight months in that we were attending there that the pastor invited me to be a part of a smaller study and discussion group. And so it was in the context of this group, this smaller group, that the pastor revealed what he actually believed. And turns out he had already been through, and I think we're gonna talk about this process of deconstruction in a minute, but he'd already been through deconstruction. He was hoping to get the people in the class into deconstruction mm -hmm. so that he could convert them to progressive Christianity. So what that looked like was lots of challenges to the reliability of the Bible, challenges to just core doctrines that define what the gospel is. And so that did throw me into my own deconstruction a bit later. And I'm just so thankful because God led me to the study of apologetics and theology and just this whole wide world I didn't even really know was out there and rebuilt my faith, reconstructed my faith. And so that's really why I focus so much on progressive Christianity because the context within which my faith was deeply challenged was a progressive Christian context. And so I hope to help other Christians identify it, figure out what the language looks like and then how to answer it biblically and just from a from a not just a biblical worldview but just common sense philosophical places as well. Okay, thank you for that. Let me ask you this. When you guys first started going to the church, did you guys look at their belief statement before you went? We did. Now that's a really interesting question because when we first went there, they had, it wasn't an expansive uh, belief statement. And back then I wasn't theologically literate enough to probably have spotted, you know, the nuances, but they had the Apostles' Creed up there. They had the Nicene Creed. And it wasn't until later, about six, five or six years after my husband and I left the church, that when they kind of openly came out as a progressive church, essentially, they took those down and they wrote their own belief statement that really relied on the power of personal conscience and things like that. And then they put that up on the website. So the belief statement changed years later. But um, but yeah, I remember kind of seeing those creeds and going, okay, well, they believe the basics, right? <laughs> okay, thank you for that, because that's what I always encourage, you know, before you go to a church, make sure you check out what they believe. You that's know? right. Um, yes. I, I, that's, I, I think that's really strong advice, because so many churches who want to remain ambiguous, that will be reflected in their belief statements. It will be very ambiguous, general language, you want to see, I want specifics on that belief statement. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for that. Will you tell us about, tell us what exactly is progressive Christianity and these deconstruction? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's talk about those two terms because deconstruction is more like a vehicle. It's the method by which you're going to get to progressive Christianity. But deconstruction can also get you to uh, different places. It can take people into atheism or agnosticism. And that's because deconstruction is more of a process of a Christian maybe looking through the beliefs they were given as a child that they never really thought critically about. Mm -hmm. But usually what happens when that word is applied is those beliefs are often rejected mm -hmm. and discarded. And then new beliefs ba based upon what the person believes is morally good or right 
become constructed. So when we use the word deconstruction, most often, at least in the, the movement of the deconstruction movement, which it really is a movement, mm -hmm. it's it really has, it, they would not think you really went through deconstruction if you land on historically orthodox Christianity. So deconstruction is more of a vehicle. Some people deconstruct all the way into atheism, passing through a form of Christianity or progressive Christianity. So that's a little bit of a broader term. Progressive Christianity is a movement that's coming largely up and out of the evangelical church mm -hmm. that affirms a lot of the same conclusions of theological liberalism. So things like um, you know, questioning the deity of Jesus, the reliability of the Bible, not necessarily viewing the Bible as authoritative anymore, uh, maybe maintaining a sense of Jesus in that that becomes a very subjective term. It's not really based on the Jesus of history or the Jesus of the, of the scriptures, but it's kind of the Jesus that's in your heart or this mystical um, revelation of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's called progressive Christianity because they're taking the themes and the moods and some of the words of Christianity, but they're completely redefining what the belief system is. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to define because progressive Christians affirm a wide spectrum of beliefs. Mm -hmm. But what I discovered when I was researching the movement is that they're really united in the things that they deny about historic Christianity. Mm -hmm. So if we just, you know, I'll give you a few, just a couple, just to give you an idea. So, you know, historically speaking, Christians have believed that we're sinners, right? We're, we have this inherent sin nature. We need redemption. We need a savior. In progressive Christianity, they don't believe that you are inherently sinful or that your sin, you know, if you do sin, that it would separate you from God. So the message in progressive Christianity is just realize how beloved you already are. Realize that you're inherently united with God. You, there's no sacrifice necessary. There's no atonement necessary. You just have to realize that you are part of this divine, uh, you know, creation and you're not separated from God. So that really, that's the first domino that knocks all the other ones down. Mm -hmm. So they deny the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. They deny a literal, you know, place of punishment called hell. Mm -hmm. And so it's re they're really united in those denials. But what they might affirm about, you know, maybe the nature of heaven or something like that is going to be different. But they are all in agreement there's no hell. And that's, I, I think that's probably the most helpful way to think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you got really in depth with that. You answered a lot of <laughs> questions just now because that's what I was Oh, no. Ask. Well, we can still do We can dive deeper. Yeah. It, when you were talking, I was going to ask about, well, what do they believe about hell? But you said that. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. How can we be on the lookout if our church, you know, is starting to fall into progressive Christianity? Yeah, this is a great question. And the reason that's such a good question is because typically churches there now there are churches that will identify themselves as progressive christian churches for sure but the way that it's growing mostly is within the evangelical church so what's what we're seeing happen what happened at the church that i was at i've watched it happen to a church in seattle it just um, happened to a church that i was just at uh where the there was a split because the progressives had sort of infiltrated the all and worked their way up and then got the concert you know the historic christians out of there so um 
it, it's it's definitely you want to be looking for signs because it's not like progressives just show up to a church and say, hey, we want this to be a progressive church. Let's change all the beliefs. It happens very slowly and it happens over time. So it's like subtle shifts, little bit by little bit. So signs to look for would be language concerning the Bible. If you hear a pastor talking about the Bible and emphasizing the humanity of the Bible over the divine side of the Bible. Like, of course, we know that the doctrine of divine inspiration has to do with God speaking through real human beings. And we see their personalities reflected and their historical and cultural context reflected. But but we consider the words that have been written down to be inspired or breathed out by God. In progressive Christianity, it just, they don't think about it that way. It, the, the Bible is not inspired in that way. It's definitely not authoritative. So you might hear them say, you know, the, the Bible is a human book written about God. The people who wrote the Bible were just trying to figure God out in the times and places that they were living in. And, you know, but we've evolved now so we can look back and say, yeah, I don't think Paul got that right or something along those. Like you can disagree with biblical writers. So there's really no meaningful sense of biblical authority in progressive Christianity. So that would be a sign. Be looking for doctrines like the atonement to be characterized as abusive. Uh, cosmic child abuse will often hear the, the idea that God the Father would require the blood sacrifice of his only son. You know, this, this is just child sacrifice. This is pagan child sacrifice, and Christians need to reject that idea, and, you know, according to progressives. So be looking for, for there to be either mockery or even, you know, these negative terms assigned to historic Christian doctrines, even original sin, the idea that we have this inherited sinfulness um, you know, that's, that's considered an abusive way to think about yourself. You shouldn't, you should see how beautiful you are that God created you. And I think that's a misunderstanding of the doctrine of Imago Dei, because as we know, the Bible teaches this glorious doctrine that every human being has been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, has inherent dignity, value, and worth. That's why as Christians, we know that abortion is wrong. That's why we know racism is wrong because we are all created in the image of God. So that's a glorious and beautiful doctrine. But what the progressives fail to understand about it is that because of sin, all of us have sort of distorted that image in one way or another. And we need that redemption to realign us and to make that reflection look a little more accurate, like, like the God we serve through our sanctification process. So uh, be looking for redefinition of terms like that. Be looking for, um, be looking for the heart of the gospel message shifting a bit from like that sin and redemption message, like we are sinners in need of a savior. And then once, you know, when Christians put faith in Christ, Christ, they will naturally start doing good works in the world. We see this all throughout church history and um the leaders of the abolition movement were Bible-believing Christians, right? We see that that play out in our lives, but often in progressive churches, they stop preaching that first part and only preach that second part. So, so looking for a shift in that heart of the gospel message there, being from sin and redemption to something more like good works or social justice or something like that, becoming the heart of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any more warning signs I would look for. I think those are probably the biggest ones. Okay. Thank you. Um, when it, in terms of deconstructionism, how can we keep ourselves from deconstructing or, or is that something we need to be looking into? You know, um, yeah. 
This is a huge discussion happening right now in yes. the church mm -hmm. because a lot of, I, in fact, I've just um, written an article that I'm going to be posting pretty soon, probably today or tomorrow, um, really pushing back against what I'm seeing from some major Christian thought leaders who are saying, look, we should all be deconstructing because, you know, and I think, and I get what they're saying. They, they mean that we should be refining our views constantly. We should constantly be reforming what we think to scripture. And I totally agree with that. I just don't think we should use the word deconstruction to mean that that that's something else because i've been immersed in the deconstruction movement for research and it is not that and that is not what the deconstructors are wanting you to do nobody in the deconstruction movement is holding to biblical authority or saying you know we want to align our views with scripture and get back to scripture so i think that it's um it's definitely a dangerous thing i think um some christians are going to find themselves in that place and I don't think there needs to be panic. God, I found myself in that place, but the Lord led me out and he can lead you back to him too and reconstruct your faith. So we don't need to be afraid if that's happening, but I definitely don't think it's something that Christians should do intentionally. I don't think you need to, you don't need that. That's not even a biblical category. It's not a biblical word. You know, the Bible says to test every spirit, hold fast to what is good, be like Bereans. That's all the biblical categories that we might use for that. But yeah, I wouldn't encourage Christians to think about deconstruction as in any way a positive thing. Okay. And what, what do you say to someone that is questioning their faith or starting to doubt God's word or, you know, feel like they're starting to see um, contradictions uh, in God's word? How would you encourage them? Yeah. And, and I think that is something that the church can do better with. And I think we're seeing some people emerge that are helping with those kind of questions to help the church address that a little better. Um, and I think that my encouragement to somebody who's asking those questions would be, God is not afraid of your doubts. Mm -hmm. And your doubt doesn't mean you don't have faith. I think that's such a big misunderstanding that Christians have. They think that, oh, if I'm doubting, or if I see something in the Bible that seems like a contradiction, then I don't have a good faith or my faith is weak and I just need to stuff that down and, you know, muster up some faith. That's not, a, I don't think that's a wise or mature way to go about it. I think we should dive into our doubts headlong and with the with the assumption that objective truth exists and can be known, right? Mm -hmm. God has revealed the truth to us and he's not afraid of a question that you might ask. And so I would just encourage somebody that if a question pops up, dig in, do some research, um, make sure that the motivation for your doubt is not coming from a place of unbelief that's already there. And so you're looking for justification to walk away. But if you really want the truth, it's there. I mean, it took me six, seven years to, to really settle on some of these things for myself. Um, but I, I think I would just encourage them to, to realize that the opposite of, of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And that's a totally different thing from doubt. You can't doubt something unless you already believe it. That's where doubt bubbles up when you, you know, I, I think this is true, but I kind of doubting it. That's okay. I think that's a natural part of becoming a mature Christian is to really lean into those things and do some investigation. And, um, but, but I think some, you know, like I kind of was hinting at before, I don't think we should conflate 
doubt and deconstruction are two really different things with different goals, right? The goal of doubt would be truth. You want to figure out what's true. The goal of deconstruction tends to be destruction of the faith. And that's the thing that I think is is maybe a, one of the the points that a lot of people are are not seeing yet, but I think they will. Yeah. And one of my favorite scriptures that I like to point out is to Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, because there are some things we're just not going to know. And it's, That's right. it's okay. That's why this walk is by faith. You know, um, yes. thank you for everything that you've said. Do you have anything else you would like to share for with us? I feel like this episode was so short. You delved into everything headlong. Well, like, headlong. man, we can talk more. I, I, you know, it's, it's what you brought up there about the mysteries of God is such a great point because I think there's a misunderstanding that some progressive Christians have, or even people in the deconstruction movement have, where they think, you know, Christians have to be so certain. They're not willing to embrace any mystery or, or this or that. And I don't think that's true. I think um, that, that what you've articulated there is really important because we have faith for sure, but it's not a blind faith. It's there are there are some things I don't understand. What God has not revealed, I don't understand. In fact, God, His nature is He's ineffable. We can't comprehend Him, you know. Right. And it's and 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 but but He gives us enough, right? He gives us enough evidence to say this is a reasonable faith, right? This is not a blind faith. We're not just guessing we have there's so much amazing evidence just in science philosophy archaeology even to to bolster someone's faith and to give them good reasons to say look it's not idiotic to believe that jesus christ was who he said he was and was raised from the dead you know it just takes all you gotta think these things through and so for the things where he hasn't revealed everything or where there might be a question or a doubt he gives us enough reason to say look he's trustworthy and I trust him. And I may not fully understand this or that. I may not fully comprehend his nature, but what he has revealed is comprehensible enough that we can put faith in him and, and, and not just from a blind place, you know? So I think that's a good point you bring up because that is often a caricature that's promoted in those circles. And I just want to say, nobody is saying that there's no mystery, but there are, what we are saying is that we don't have to have a lack of certainty on everything. There are some things that we can plant our feet in and say, this is true. And um, so I, yeah, I hope that, that, that was, a, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because that was a good thought. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Well, thank you. And I like how you just said, you know, who God is matters and we will never be all knowing like God is. You That's know? right. That <laughs> would be God. We'd be God be. if we fully comprehended him, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and he does, he does give us just enough, you know, and just continuing to reveal himself to us in his word and through our experiences that we have with him and showing his faithfulness throughout our lives. Mm. Um, he does. He gives us just enough. His grace is sufficient. It is. Amen. So thank you so much. Um, is there anything you would like else you would like to share with us or encourage your listeners with regarding this topic? Yeah, well, um, I do have a book out on this that chronicles my whole journey from walking from 
sort of this childhood Christian into all the way into deconstruction? And what were, what were the questions I was asking? Where did I look for answers? How did those answers come? And then building the case really for historic Christianity, which is really a bare bones Christianity. That's, I mean, I have beliefs on a lot of different, you know, theological topics that we might consider to be secondary, but it's really building the case for that core essential gospel message, that good news that we're supposed to be proclaiming and making disciples with, right? <laughs> and so I make that case in the book, Another Gospel. I do have a new book coming out uh, in the fall, mm -hmm. and that one is taking a little bit of a broader kind of zoom out to the effects that progressive ideas have had on the church. Mm -hmm. So this would swing out a little broader into kind of slogans that we see in culture, like live your truth and you are enough for yourself. There's nothing outside of yourself that you need to, to be complete or whole. Uh, you only live once. Mm -hmm. God just wants you to be happy. We're looking at some of these sort of cultural slogans and it's there's a lot of humor in the book, a lot of storytelling. But ultimately, we're going to take a biblical look and say, look, the Bible has such a better story mm -hmm. on these things than, than what culture has to offer and showing how the cultural ideas fail. So the book is called Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Self-Obsessed, and Exhausted. So that'll be coming out in the fall. There's also um, a curriculum coming out for another gospel in July, so people can be on the lookout for that. That's for like a six-week study group in churches. But I, I guess the encouragement I would leave everybody with today would be, you know, it, it can feel overwhelming learning about a movement. And maybe as people have been even listening today, they're thinking, oh, I've seen that in my church. I, I, I heard phrases like that. And now I'm kind of panicking. Don't panic. Here's the thing. We all as Christians throughout all of Christian history have had to discern truth from error. We've had to uh, take a look at what people are saying, hey, this is Christian or this is Christian. And we've had to ask the question, is it? Is that Christian? Is that Christian? Because there have been lots of false gospels and false movements throughout our church history. Um, but my encouragement would be just know the real thing. Read your Bible, know what the voice, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Mm -hmm. And we know his voice because he's revealed in his word. So stay anchored to the word of God and you will spot counterfeits when they come across your newsfeed or they come across your the pulpit in your church or in your small group, it, it, you'll, your discernment skills will sharpen as you align yourself with the Word of God. And you know you don't have to necessarily learn everything there is to know about every single false gospel out there. Just really know the real one really, really well, and you'll be all right. Amen. And as you were talking, I just realized two more questions that I wanted to ask you. Yeah, sure. Why in the world are we using the term progressive Christianity? Mm -hmm. And the other is, um, are, are progressive Christians truly believers? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So the first one, um, why are we using this term? Yeah. And that is that is something I've given quite a bit of thought to because I don't like using the phrase progressive mm -hmm. Christian because progressive Christianity is not progressive, it's regressive, mm -hmm. and it's not Christianity. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's almost seems like um, like a contradiction in terms, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason I do use the the phrase is because it is what they call themselves. So this is a, um, it's not like a pejorative that somebody came up with to make fun of them or to, to talk down about them. This is actually what they refer to themselves as. And so in that sense, 
it, that's the recognizable name. Okay. And so to call it that helps people say, okay, so that's what that is. Because progressive Christians will call themselves progressive. This is a progressive Christian resource or a progressive Christian website. And so I think it's helpful to know that that's the distinction that's being made. Um, but in the same sense that we might say, you know, there's a, there's a cultish type of uh, religious belief called Christian science. And that's heretical, but still called Christian science because that's what it's called. It's not really Christian and it's not really science either, but it's we use that phrase because that's just overall the banner of what it's called. So that's why I do use it, but I agree with you. It's, it's <laughs> not an accurate term, right? Um, and then what, I can't remember what the question, second question was. Oh, is are they Christians? Right, yeah. Yeah, and this is a complicated question. And of course, you know, as I'm sure you agree, obviously the Lord knows. He knows whose are his. And um, but I but the Bible does tell us to judge the fruit, right? To judge the fruit of obedience in their lives. And so I think my hunch is that in progressive churches, there are probably some genuine Christians in the pews mm -hmm. who are maybe confused about what's being taught, or they're maybe not all the way in. Um, but what I can tell you for for certain, without any hesitation, mm -hmm. at least what the leaders are teaching is not Christianity. Amen. So I'll leave the judgment of their souls to God, but what they are teaching is not Christianity, and it will lead people to hell, in my view. So, um, you know, that's, that's about as clear as I could say it without actually judging individual souls, right? Is, I mean, I shudder to think standing before God on Judgment Day having taught this stuff. So um, it's, it's very serious. And that's why I called the book Another Gospel because a lot of people think, oh, progressive Christianity, maybe that's just a political thing. Maybe, you know, it's just a group of Christians who are maybe moving away from being Republicans or something. Or maybe it's just a group of Christians who are becoming more authentic in their embracing their messy lives or something. Uh, it, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about progressive Christianity. This is, I analyze the movement purely theologically. And this is not just those things. This is a group of Christians who are teaching about a different God. They're describing a different Jesus. They're rejecting his word and they're giving you a completely different gospel. And so I think that that would be the main thing to remember about progressive Christianity is that we're not talking about a political term. We're not talking about even, um, like I've even said, I, I do identify myself as an evangelical, but I'm not here to defend evangelicalism. Right. I'm trying to go back to the earliest sources and defend what Christianity, I mean, you know, I think when evangelicalism first came about, it was, it was existing to try to defend Christianity against some of the liberal attacks that were coming from the theological liberalism. But I mean, who knows? I mean, there's some wacky stuff going on in evangelicalism right now. Who knows where that's going to go? I want to defend the gospel that is found in scripture that goes back to Jesus and the apostles. So that's, that's kind of the, the, um, what I would say about, you know, are they Christians or it's just that what they're teaching is not a Christian belief. Okay, well, thank you for that. And I just pray because like Paul said, if if, if we teach another gospel, let us be accursed, you know, yes, and so serious. I pray for repentance. And I just pray that the Lord does continue to use you to, you know, speak out against this and, you know, um, raise up a people that are teaching and preaching truth and pray that they come to repentance, you know, because we yes. don't, of course, and the Lord doesn't want them to perish, you know. Um, and so speaking of the gospel, would you share the gospel with our listeners um, in case there is someone that does not know the Lord Jesus and isn't walking with him? And of course, um, for believers, it's always refreshing to hear the gospel. 
Yeah, you got to preach it to yourself every day, right? Got to preach it to yourself. So I would probably sum it up like this. You know, God in his all, he, you know, God is love. That's one of his attributes, right? He is, he's not just loving, he is love itself. And so out of his love, he created the, the universe. He created this beautiful world and he created human beings in his image. Um, and then because of his love, he gave us a choice. Like we could do it his way or we could choose our own way. And of course, Adam and Eve, the first humans that he created in the Garden of Eden, they chose to rebel against him. This ushered sin and death into the world. This is what's wrong with everything in the world. This is where all suffering and evil comes from. And as they began to have children, their children had children, and they passed that sin nature down to their children and all the way down to us. And we're in a met, and that, that puts us in a predicament because God is holy, which means he's morally perfect, which means he can have no unity with sin. He is untainted entirely from sin. And so we have this separation. And according to God's justice, that sin has to be paid for. There, there's a price that has to be paid. So God decided to pay that price himself. He incarnated into, uh, into the world. He stepped into the world, God in flesh, Jesus living that perfectly sinless life that none of us could live taking that punishment upon himself at the crucifixion and then proving everything he said and did true by raising up from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. Going back up, <laughs> ascending to the right hand of the Father, and he will return again to judge the living and the dead. And this means an assignment. Every person is going to get assigned to their eternal destination. For those who love God and want to be in his presence forever, they're going to get what they want. Every tear will be wiped away. The problem of evil is solved. No more crying, tears, pain. We can't wait. But for those who don't want him, they reject him. They don't want him in this life. I don't know why th we think we they, they would want him in that life. But he assigns them to their eternal destination in a place called hell. And, you know, that's the bare bones of the gospel. And for those who put trust and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you will be saved from your sins. And when God looks at you, he won't see your sin anymore, but he'll see the righteousness of Jesus. And then walk that out that that process out for the rest of our lives as we become conformed to the image of christ amen amen thank you for so much for sharing that good news alicia um yeah. if you will also um let the listeners know how they can connect with you and i'll also put your books in the show notes as well Oh, thank you. Yeah, you can go to elisachilders.com. I've got, um, I'm blogging right now through the book of Hosea. I've got lots of podcasts and content on there just really surrounding this movement of progressive Christianity. I'm also, um, my YouTube channel's grown quite a bit over the past couple of years. So you can go search my name on YouTube. I interview a lot of really great expert guests on some of these challenges that come from progressive Christianity. So it's pretty fun over there. But yeah, elisachilders.com is where you'll find all of those links. Oh, thank you so much. And that concludes this interview. And I thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining us. Grace and peace until next time.